Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. You probably are familiar with a man named John Newton. You surely must have heard about him. This is a man who wrote a hymn that has come to be very famous, a hymn known as Amazing Grace. And in this hymn, he recounts what God did for him in Christ Jesus after a big part of his life having been spent in serious wickedness. In one of the stanzas of this hymn, he says that this grace through many dangers, toils, and snares it has brought him. And he continues to say that this very grace will actually lead him home. This is the kind of grace we want to talk about today. The grace of God, which continues to amaze every one of us. The grace of God that runs contrary to the thinking of the world. You know, in this world, we work on a merit basis. You do something, I do something for you. You study hard, you get rewards. You play football very well, you get a cup. You work hard and you get a promotion. And then you come to the grace of God, or what we know as God's unmerited favor, and we are told that God just gives you what you do not deserve. What kind of grace is this? And this is what we find the Apostle Paul, as he writes to Titus, speaking about. Paul writes to Titus in chapter 2, from verse 11, listen to what he says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Wow! The Apostle Paul, himself a recipient of God's marvelous grace, years later in his ministry is writing to a young man named Titus, who was an overseer of the churches in Crete. He's been telling him about the importance of proclaiming the gospel and guarding especially the gospel by teaching sound doctrine. You come to chapter 2, and he is telling him how sound doctrine works together or relates with Christian conduct. He talks about the different groups, old men, young women, young men. He talks about slaves and how they ought to conduct themselves in their life as believers. And he comes to verse 11, he gives them the basis for godly conduct. I have been telling you how to live how to relate with one another, what to do and what not to do as you live your Christian life. But why am I telling you this? Is it even possible that you can live right? Is it even possible that you can fulfill these things that I just told you to do? And then he says, the reason why they owe it to God, to one another and to themselves to live right, is because of what the grace of God has done. And he reminds them that this grace of God has made salvation possible to as many as will believe. It is the grace of God that brings salvation to all mankind. 
It is the grace of God that is available for all who will heed the call of the gospel and those who believe will surely become recipients. It is the grace of God that reaches different categories of people. Men, women, slaves, outcasts, the rich and the poor. People from all circles, from all categories, they find that in Christ Jesus, the grace is sufficient. This grace that the apostle talks about is actually personified in Jesus himself. When he says the grace has appeared, he's not saying grace was not there in the beginning. What he is saying is that it has fully and finally been revealed in Christ Jesus. You remember those verses like John chapter 1 verse 17 where John writes and says that the law came through Moses but grace and truth has come through Jesus Christ. So we come to this grace and this grace has not only been available for the salvation of many but once they become believers, recipients of this unmerited favor from a loving God, then it instructs them on how to live. Now you might be wondering, why is, does he consider this important? Yes, we know that grace has come. Some of us are even recipients of that grace. We know that the grace of God is indeed sufficient. In Christ Jesus, we have received forgiveness for our sins. We have been declared righteous before the Lord. We are now grace-filled believers. Why would he want to tell us this? Well, you'll find that in verse 11. You see, while many of us are aware that we get saved by grace, and that in Christ's grace we have found pardon and forgiveness of our sins. There is one thing that continues to elude believers today. The fact that the grace of God in Christ Jesus does not stop at salvation. Not only does it bring you to that place where you say, It's me, O Lord, in need of your mercy, but it also continues to guide you, to lead you, to teach you on how you ought to live, how you ought to behave, and how you ought to respond to the ongoing work of the gospel in your life. We live in times, friends, where so many people have not only misunderstood the grace, but still do not understand the role and the place of grace in the believer's life. Today we meet Christians who look at grace as a thing of the past. Grace came when I was a miserable sinner, very desperate, helpless and hopeless, didn't know what to do. Thank God all my record of sins were cancelled past, present, and future, and now grace is done, I'm all on my own, with unlimited freedom, pack a last, to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and nobody should point a finger. Should anybody ask me how I am living my life, I have no problem reminding him of what the grace did. Have you forgotten that Christ took care of all my sins? How dare you tell me to obey the law? How dare you tell me to live a godly life? But then we come to the passages that Paul writes to young Titus and we notice that Paul, a man who was a strong advocate of grace, does not understand grace that way. According to Paul, grace is not an event that happens in the past and ceases to act. It is an ongoing experience, it is an ongoing challenge in the believer's life that the grace that saves you is the grace that sustains you, is the grace that eventually presents you before God when life on earth is done. 
And Paul wants us to understand this very, very clearly. That this grace that has brought salvation, this grace in which we have found God's justification, where we have been declared right on the basis of the righteousness of Jesus, it is the same grace that brings sanctification. A process in which believers who have been justified continue to grow and to be conformed into the image and the likeness of Christ. A place where new believers who have now become a new creation continue to grow deeper into the word of God and the more they understand and experience the grace of the gospel, it changes them and makes them agents of change in the world where they live. The apostle Paul says that this grace teaches them and it teaches them at least two important things. Number one is to know when to say no and what to say no to. Number two is to know what to say yes to. And we see that the grace of God teaches them to say no to ungodliness, to say no to worldly passions. The apostle Paul seems to be saying, Titus, when people become believers in Christ Jesus, we expect a change of lifestyle. It is not just a change of mind. It is not just a change of heart. It is also a change of lifestyle and behavior. It is a new beginning. No one can claim to be a Christian but continue to live the life he once lived when he was still a non-Christian. The Apostle Paul says that this grace now becomes the power, the dunamis inside of us that enables us to say no to things that once held us captive. If I was a thief, and I would find it very hard not to steal because that was my natural sinful inclination. Now there is grace within me saying, Rogers, not anymore. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. He who has been hating must now adopt not just the attitude, but the language and the character of Christ's love. It changes everything. This grace does not only tell you what to do and what not to do, but it gives you the power actually to say no. But the Apostle Paul also says that the same grace gives you the power to say yes. And yes to what? Yes to self-control, yes to uprightness, yes to godly living in this present world of great wickedness, ever-increasing evil, ever-increasing secularism and uh, apostasy, in the midst of such a crooked and wretched world where one would have every reason to feel hopeless, the grace of God says, yes, you have the power to be different. You have the power to be exemplary. You have the power to extend that hand of love that normally you wouldn't want to. It has changed everything. You are now a new creation. From one who was once hopeless, now you extend hope to those who do not have it. If you meet a believer... Who claims that the grace of God in Christ has changed him? But his lifestyle has not changed, or if at all, has taken a turn for the worse. It is just a clear indication that this person has not experienced God's grace before. If you meet somebody who is saying, well for me I am a grace believer, but as a grace believer I also think that stealing once in a while is okay, or maybe indulging myself in sexual immorality is okay, that person essentially is saying, I do not understand the grace. 
You remember the hymn we talked about at the beginning? You see, John Newton appreciates the experience of God's grace in saving him, but he also reminds us that the same grace leads him through dangers, through toils, through snares, and this grace does not stop until it has led him home. And the Apostle Paul actually confirms that very message. That the grace of God keeps with you. It challenges you in your past sinfulness. It cleanses you in your present life. And prepares you for the glorious future ahead of you. Today we have a famous movement that has come to characterize the beliefs and practices of so many young believers in Uganda. The modern grace movement. Which is teaching a number of things really that are biblical which is helping God's people who have been enslaved in legalism to appreciate and understand God's grace in Christ Jesus, but which I am afraid has gone too far, and therefore is in error. What is the movement's teaching? That grace has come, which is true. That grace saves, which is true. That grace is sufficient, which is true. But then taking it much further and saying that with the guarantee of grace, now you can do anything you want, even those things that would displease Jesus who extended that grace to you. And that is really blasphemy. The Apostle Paul is saying you cannot afford to do that. And I am here to challenge you and encourage you as believers, that as believers, God has not only saved us so we can do what we want, but God has saved us so we can live uh, for him so we can reflect his character so that we can begin to desire those very things that pertain to righteousness and holiness both of which characterize God's nature and character the apostle Paul not only does tell us that this grace is effectual in the present but he also says this grace is actually preparing us for the future look at verse 13 waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This grace keeps reminding us of the purpose for which we were saved. It is not just a question of saying, well, my past sin are dealt with, now I am okay. No. Yes, my past sin are dealt with, my present life is being formed and conformed to Christ by this grace, and now I await for the full and the final transformation that comes when Christ gloriously, powerfully, majestically appears in the second coming. And you see, as Christians who live in view of the second coming, one question must always be on our mind. When the one who died for me, the one who gave himself for me, the one who extended his grace undeservingly to me, now that I know he's coming back, how should I live in light of that fact? Now that I know that he paid the price I couldn't pay. Now that I know that he gave himself so that in him I might have that life which I didn't have previously. How do I live in honor of his name? How do I live in gratefulness of what he did for me? The Apostle Paul wants us to remember that Jesus our Savior is coming back. And because he is, we must pattern our lives in a manner that honors him. That when he comes, he will not be ashamed or will not have reason to regret as to why he did save us or as to why he extended his grace to us. But also notice something very important here. 
He does not only tell us that Jesus is coming back, but he takes us back way into eternity and reminds us of what Jesus both eternally and historically in time has done for us. The Apostle Paul is not just interested in our life after or in the future, but he wants us to understand the basis and motivation for our salvation and godly living. So he says that this Jesus Christ gave himself for us and specifically for at least three reasons. Number one, he gave himself for us in order that he could redeem us from all lawlessness. Christ died so that he could redeem us from all lawlessness. We who were lawbreakers and unable to fulfill the law, Christ did fulfill it on our behalf so that we might no longer live under the bondage, the penalty, and the power of the law, but being freed from that very bondage, we might live in the liberty and freedom that Christ gives us, which is a life that is lived according to Christ and therefore not lawless in character. In other words, Jesus is saying that no one experiences my redemption and remains the same. How come today we see so many believers who have not changed? who still go to church, carry their Bibles, pray like never before, sing like everyone, claim to be Christians, but you look at their lifestyle and they are not any different from before they claim to be Christian. Where is the missing link? Has Christ really redeemed them? Is it possible that they have misunderstood the gospel of God's grace? Could it be that like the modern grace movement, they have actually misunderstood or taken advantage of the grace of God? But secondly, we are told that the purpose for which Jesus gave himself was not just to redeem us, to buy us back from sin, from Satan, but also to purify for himself a people. Christ does not just pay your past debt. Christ does not just clear a record of your past sins. He clears all your sins. And the reason is not so that you just say, oh, I'm now clean, okay, great. No, but so he can purify you. In other words, one of the characteristics of a changed life, or of somebody who has got an experience of God's grace in his life, is that he is a man or a woman that panteth after purity. A man that cries after holiness. A man that longs to be conformed to the likeness of Christ who redeemed him. If you meet Christians who don't care about their lifestyle or whether their lifestyle does please God or not, it is one indication that they have not experienced God's grace. We are told that not only does Jesus redeem them and purify those who believe, but you see, he even prepares them to live the kind of life that is fruitful. He redeemed them from lawlessness to purify for himself a people, for a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What is the other characteristic of a true believer, of a true recipient of the grace of God in Christ? That this person is zealous for good works. That this person is doing certain things that please God, certain things that improve the lives of humanity, certain things that show that indeed the hand of God is present in his life. What about today's Christianity? Where Christians are only Christians verbally. 
The only way you can know that somebody is a Christian is if they tell you that they are. But is it possible that one can be the kind of Christian whose fruit can be seen even before he introduces himself? And I believe this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. That true believers, men and women that have experienced God's grace, will desire not to just live life passively waiting for the second coming, but to be responsible, to be accountable, to be diligent people who use every available opportunity for the honor and the service of God. And anything short of this brings a question mark as to whether this grace has really come their way. It is very, very important that we understand that the grace that brings us to salvation is the grace that sustains us in the present age, the grace that enables us to live holy lives, lives that honor Christ, lives that are exemplary, lives that cause others to see that indeed God is at work in us. And this grace prepares us for the glorious appearance of the one who died for us, this grace creates a purified community of believers. This grace creates people who work hard, people who live in a certain manner that they produce fruit that is beneficial to fellow believers, that is edifying to themselves as believers, and above all, brings glory to God. And, Tit and Paul ends uh, in verse 15 by reminding Titus, that because of the importance of this teaching, because of the importance of the role of this grace in the life of a believer, he must declare these things. He must exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one despise him. The Apostle Paul is not saying, Titus, when you have some time, you can always tell the believers about these important things. No, 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 no. He considers this so, so important that believers understand the role of grace in their lives and its relationship with their Christian living. That Christians be careful that they do not take for granted the grace of God, but on the contrary, live in reverence and awe of the one who gave them this grace that he tells Titus, Titus, please declare. If you have to use authority, so be it. If you have to rebuke those that are already taking for granted this grace, so be it. If the Apostle Paul was here today, what would he tell the modern grace movement? If Titus was here today, how would he tell or talk to the modern grace movement today? And I believe that we do not need to wait for Paul or Titus because the word of God has basically been left here for us so that it can be the guide, the pattern by which we live our lives. And if you are the kind, brother or sister, who has been, I should say, a gullible recipient and consumer of modern grace teachings, this message comes to you not just as a warning but as a stern rebuke that you need to turn around before it is too late that you need to evaluate your life and ask yourself is the grace of god really at work in my life and if it is how is it changing me how is it teaching me to say no how is it teaching me to say yes to uprightness to godly living to self-righteousness Am I living a pure life that Christ has purchased for me? Am I really doing good works and am I zealous of them since this is the reason for which Jesus gave himself for me? And if you cannot answer those questions in the affirmative, it's time to go back to the cross where it all begins. And the grace of God, I can assure you, 
is not just sufficient to forgive you, but also to set you on a course that will not only change you, but change the lives of those who come in contact with you. Because God's grace does not save and walk away. It saves, it sanctifies, and it brings you to glory. Praise the Lord. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.